Charles Swindoll writes in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, says, Not long ago, Newsweek magazine reported on what it called the new wave of mountain men. It's estimated that there are some 60,000 serious mountain climbers in the U.S., but in the upper echelon of serious climbers is a small elite group known as hard men. For them, climbing mountains and scaling sheer rock faces is a way of life. In many cases, climbing is a part of their whole commitment to life, and their ultimate experience is called free soloing, climbing with no equipment and no safety ropes. John Baker is considered by many to be the best of the hard men. He has free soloed some of the most difficult rock faces in the U.S. with no safety rope and no climbing equipment of any kind. His skill has not come easily. It has been acquired through commitment, dedication, and training. His wife says he can't believe his dedication. She can't believe his dedication. When John isn't climbing, he's often to be found in his California home hanging by his fingertips to strengthen his arms and hands. Would you call that devotion, <laughs> dedication, commitment? I would. I call that devotion. Some of us might say that's crazy, right? But that's devotion, and that is commitment. And, you know, we admire people like that, and we respect their devotion, don't we? You have to respect something about a man who says, I'm going to go out and climb a dangerous rock face without any help whatsoever, without any equipment, with no ropes, no safety, You know, we don't think anything strange of someone who gives their whole life to something like that, to something they love. They give themselves wholly to it. We don't think anything of that. We admire, we respect people like that. In fact, in the the day and age we live in, we don't think anything of someone who commits their whole lives to a sport, to a game. We don't think anything of someone who gives their whole life to that business that they've started. They invest their time and their energy, their whole livelihood, and their whole um, life is, is centered around this business that they've started. We don't think anything of that. We don't think anything of someone who has who says, look, I've got this dream that I want to see come true in my life. I want to fulfill this dream. And they take steps to fulfill that dream in their lives, and they are... They are committed. They are devoted to their dream. And we don't think anything of admiring those folks for their devotion. But what of your devotion to Christ? What of your devotion to Christ? Would you say that you are fully devoted to Christ? Would you say that even if you looked around this morning and saw many walking away from the faith, Many walking away from a life devoted to Christ. Would you say that no matter what anyone else does, I will remain fully devoted to Christ? You know, if many today said they could not fully devote themselves to Christ, would you leave him too? Would you walk away from Christ if many of your friends and loved ones, and even even if many in this church today said we cannot follow Christ anymore and we, we're walking away, would you walk away? Also, Jesus asks just this question of his followers in the text before us this morning in John chapter 6. Would you go there with me? John chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 67. 
Jesus asks just that question of those who are following him, his disciples. Look at verse 67. We'll read to the end of the chapter. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now, when we stepped away from this text, chapter 6 in John's Gospel, when we stepped away for a brief time from chapter 6 a few weeks ago, we had just seen in verse 66, go back and look at verse 66, we had just seen that after Jesus' challenging words of truth about who he is, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now remember that these disciples were such in, in what we would say they were, they were disciples in loose terms. There were many who were following where Jesus went. They liked some of what he said, some of what he said. Even more, they wanted more miracles like the bread. But when it came to his words and the truth, the profound truths of his words and what his words called them to, a very high level of commitment, faith in him, belief in him, belief in his words, when it came to his words, they began to have a problem. What was their problem? Well, Jesus had called himself the living bread, saying in verses 55 and 56 that that his flesh was true food and his blood true drink. Of course, what Jesus was telling them was that to be his follower required wholehearted faith in him, wholehearted devotion to him. But they took offense at his words, taking him literally, which they should not have done since he did not mean them to be taken in a literal sense, but he meant his words to be taken in a spiritual sense. He is the bread of life. And to to, to eat of his body and drink of his blood is to be fully devoted to Christ, to have faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. They didn't like what he was saying. When in verse 58 he said of himself, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the, the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see, the simple truth of what Jesus was saying here, in fact, is the same truth we'll see when we get to John chapter 14 and verse 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. That was the simple truth of what He was preaching to them and teaching to them. And that's really what they had a problem with. That's really what they rejected. They had a problem with the words that he spoke. They would not believe in him. They would not believe his words, that they had to partake of the living bread. They had to believe in him. They had to be fully devoted to him. 
So when in verse 60 it says the people complained, saying, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? What they were really saying wasn't so much that they didn't understand. Yes, they were limited somewhat in their understanding. But as they began to understand, what they didn't want was to believe in him. They did not want to believe in his words. And that's the trouble still today. You realize that? That's still the trouble today. People do not want to believe the words of Christ. When the truth of the gospel is preached, there will be those who believe, praise God. But when the gospel is preached, there will also be those who do not believe and reject the truth. Charles Spurgeon notes on this passage that the preaching of the doctrines of truth, the preaching of the gospel is in itself a means of dividing the true followers of Christ from those who are only his disciples in name. And wherever there is a faithful Christ-like ministry, you will find many going away from it for the very same reasons that those nominal disciples went away from Christ. Now, I want you to notice that when we come to verse 67, that Jesus isn't troubled by those who've left him. Note the lack of concern. There's a lack of concern here in Jesus because he doesn't speak of them next. He turns his attention to his own disciples. He turns to the 12 that he had chosen. And we don't know, but it may be that they were the only ones that remained. Or it may be that Jesus is alone with them when in verse 67 he says, Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? So there were those who did not believe and there were many who turned back and no longer walked with Jesus when he spoke to them the very words that were spirit and life. Can you imagine? It boggles our minds. Those who have faith in Christ, we say, How could you not believe Jesus? How could you not put your faith in him he's the one who has the very words of spirit and life but now he turns to the 12 and he asks the question in a way that expects a negative answer we don't see that very clearly in some of our english translations but if you have in your hands the new international version this morning that makes it pretty clear that what jesus was saying here and it says it this way you do not want to leave too do you That's really what Jesus was saying here. He's expecting a negative answer. Well, absolutely not, Lord. Now, why is he expecting a negative answer? Because he knows. He knows their hearts. He knows where their true devotion lies. He knows their faith in him, and he knows that 11 of them have believed in him and that one of them has not. That's clear, of course, in verse 70. So Jesus isn't asking this question of them because he's wondering about where their devotion lies. He's not asking for them to bolster his his feelings about himself, and I'm wondering whether you too are going to leave me. He's asking for their sake. The question is for their benefit. He's not asking for his own sake. He's asking for their sake. And, and, and here's why I think that. I think in one respect Jesus is asking the question to make it very clear that they aren't there against their will. You're not following me against your will. Yes, I chose you. Yes, I called you to follow me. But they must follow. They must be fully devoted. They must believe in him. They must follow him. 
it's very clear here that not all of them would follow him, of course. Judas would remain with them. He would be with them. He would travel with them. He would appear to be with Christ. He would appear as though he were following Jesus. But in the end, it would be very clear that he never truly believed the words of Christ. Judas never trusted in Christ. He never was fully devoted to Christ. In the end, of course, he walked away just as those we saw earlier who walked away because they could not and would not believe in Christ. They would not believe his words. Judas did not believe Jesus' words. So Jesus' question is also a question for us today. You realize that? God's word, in God's wisdom, he has given us his word, and this question is a question for you and me today. You do not want to leave too, do you? You see, when others are turning from Christ, will you also turn from him? Or will you be challenged to cling closer to Christ because of a question like this? Will this question challenge you to think more carefully about your devotion to Christ? Or will you leave him too? You see, I think Jesus meant to strengthen them in their walk with him to encourage them in their walk with him. I think he meant to have them look around and say, yeah, there are people leaving, but we will not leave you. We're fully devoted to you. We believe. I think he wanted to strengthen them in their walk with him. I think he wanted to strengthen their resolve to abide with him and stay with him in faith and obedience with this question. And I think it should strengthen your resolve to follow Christ as well. Will you look at this question today and realize Jesus is asking you, you will not leave also, will you? I think Paul puts the call to follow Christ faithfully this way very well in Galatians 5.16 when he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, that's what we're battling. We're battling the desires of the flesh that say, jump ship, depart from Christ, don't stick with him. He's not, he's not caring for you. He's not meeting your needs. Paul's answer, walk by the Spirit. Work by the, walk by the power of the Spirit in you. What is it to walk by the Spirit? It means yielding to the Spirit of Christ at work in you as a believer in Christ, obeying the commands of Christ. You need the commands of Christ. You need God's word. And you must yield to it to walk in the Spirit. Because the Spirit intends to take the word and use it in your life to help you walk faithfully in obedience to Christ. So in verse 17 in Galatians 5, Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So I suggest when you look around and you see people turning away from the gospel and turning away from Christ, you won't obey those passions of the flesh and go too, will you? You won't obey those passions of the flesh that war against the, the, the passions of the Spirit. and You won't depart from Christ also, will you? Or will you cling to Christ? Will you cling to His Word? 
Will you walk by the power of the Spirit at work in you, even though many around you do not go with you? You see, Jesus wasn't troubled by those who left. He knew they would. He knew their heart. It ought not trouble us when there are people who who finally, we discover, did not believe in Jesus and they depart from our present. They maybe even leave our church and say, you know, I'm the... I just thought that this was a place where I could come and get some encouragement. I didn't want to have the Bible preached at me every Sunday. You see, we need the Word. And we need to take the Word and yield to the Word and yield to the Spirit's work with the Word in our lives. And if we can't take the words of Christ, we truly aren't Christ's. And He's not ours. You see, I hope and pray that your answer to Christ's question will be like Peter's answer. This is a wonderful reply to Jesus' question. I hope and pray this is yours. Look at verses 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? Oh, we're going to go uh, go back to the Scriptures uh, tonight with that passage, with just that thought. Lord, to whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. And God's Word makes that very clear and helps us understand there is nowhere else to go. And what a wonderful answer was Peter's. I hope that's your answer. When, when Jesus asks you, will you turn away also? I hope your answer is, Lord, where can I go? I can't go anywhere else. There's rich truth here. When Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter's speaking for the twelve here. And in doing so, he points to a profound truth as he speaks for the twelve. You see, they've heard from Christ what we've seen here in John's Gospel already. Where else is there to go when you're already following and being taught by the one who is, as John the Baptist had declared, the Lamb of God, the Messiah? who takes away the sin of the world, where else is there to go when you're already with the one who is the bread of life, as we've seen here in John 6? And when back in chapter 4 we found out that that Jesus gives the living water, where else is there to go? And Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. And that's true. So, how foolish it would be for us to look anywhere else for anything better than what Jesus offers. Yes? How foolish of us to think we can find something better than what Jesus offers us. John Gill said it very well when he wrote over 200 years ago of Peter's answer, saying, So it is with all sensible sinners and true believers who see there is no other to go to for life and salvation but Christ. Not to the law of Moses, which accuses, curses, and condemns, and by which there is neither life nor righteousness, nor to any creature or creature performance, for there is a curse on him that trusts in man, nor to their own righteousness, which is impure and imperfect, and cannot justify before God, nor answer for them in a time to come, nor to their tears of repentance, which will not satisfy the law, atone for sins, or wash them away, nor to carnal descent birth privileges, a religious education, sobriety, and civility, the trust to which is to have confidence in the flesh, which will be of no avail, nor to ceremonial services or moral duties or even evangelical ordinances, neither of which can take away sin. There is no other Savior but Christ to look to. Verse 
No other mediator between God and man to make use of. No other physician of value for diseased and sin-sick souls to apply unto. No other fountain but his blood for polluted souls to wash in and be cleansed. No other city of refuge or stronghold for souls sensible of danger to flee unto and be safe. No other to come to as the bread of life where hungry souls may be fed. No other place of rest for those that are weary and heavy laden. Nor is there any other where there is plenty of all grace and security from every enemy as in him. And therefore, to whom can they have recourse but unto him? Where else is there to go but to Christ? Are you with Peter? Are you with Peter today? See, that's the best place for you to be in your faith. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, eternal life. Peter has it right. It was in verse 40 that we learned from Christ. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then in verse 63, we learn from Jesus that it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Where else is there to go but to Christ? You see, Jesus is the one of whom Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 speaks when it tells us there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no better place to be than with Christ. For Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life, and this too will be the declaration of your lips when you agree with Peter and acknowledge that you too have believed and have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. That will be your proclamation that, Jesus, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. Now note what happens next. Jesus declares that not all will follow him. Look at verses 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you? In effect, did I not call you to follow me? The twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And see, we see it here again. We've seen it throughout the the Gospel of John already in these first six chapters that Jesus knows the heart of man. And Jesus knows that one of the twelve is, as its meaning is in the Greek, a slanderer or false accuser. You see, that's Jesus' meaning here in stating that one of them is a devil. It's it's much like what Jesus admonishes Peter for in Mark chapter 8 and verse 33. You remember when he said, get Behind me, Satan. It's not as if Peter or Judas are Satan, but they're speaking for Satan when they say what they say. They're doing Satan's work. And to that, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. D.A. Carson notes that the supreme adversary of God, that's Satan, so operates behind failing human beings that his malice becomes theirs and so 
the supreme adversary of God, was at work in Judas, and Jesus knew it. No doubt Jesus is thankful for Peter's declaration of faith, but he cannot let Peter's speaking for all 12 of them go unchecked. He knows not all 12 of them will follow. Not all 12 of them will be fully devoted. It was Jesus himself who had called them, and yet not all of them had true faith in him. He knew their hearts. And Jesus knows your heart. You know that? He knows your heart. And he calls to you today and says, you, you too won't depart also, will you? And so that question for you today is, will you be like those who left Jesus after hearing his words, who rejected his words, and rejected him as Lord and Savior? Or will you be like Peter and ten other disciples who stayed with Christ, who were fully devoted? Or will you be like those religious leaders whom Jesus admonished and condemned back in chapter 5 saying, John 5, verses 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Do you read the scriptures because you think that in them you'll find some words of encouragement to help you through the week ahead, and yet you haven't devoted yourself to Christ and faithfully committed yourself to being obedient to his words? Or will you declare your allegiance to Christ no matter what anyone else does? And say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else is there to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Are those your words today when Christ says, will you leave too? And will you declare your devotion to Christ, saying with the psalmist in Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Is that your heart's cry today? That, O Christ, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is absolutely nothing here on earth that can hold me. There is nothing here on earth that can satisfy me. There is nothing here on earth that I desire more than you, Christ, in obedience to your word. That's a powerful question, isn't it? It's a convicting question, isn't it? Because in the world we live in, we are so easily distracted and led astray to desire other things than Christ. And so the question is for us today, as it was for Peter and the 11 others, whom Jesus called to follow him. Do you want to go away as well? Or will you be fully devoted to Christ? Will you be faithful to the end? Know this. That if the answer is yes, I will be fully devoted to Christ, I will be faithful to the end, it doesn't all rest on you. You realize that God has given you His Spirit to enable your faithfulness. He has given you His Word to enable your faithfulness, to inform your faithfulness, to inform your desire, to encourage you, to instruct you. 
So how critical that we not forfeit the Word of God and shortchange our own desire for devotion to Christ and faithfulness to Christ. How, how dare we not take the Word in? How dare we not yield to God's Word today and always that we might be numbered among those who say as Peter did, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else is there to go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Bow your head with me, would you? Father in heaven, we pray today that you would help us to be fully devoted to Christ Father, we realize as we saw the reminder from Paul today in your word that we have the spirit and we have the flesh and we have a war going on. But Lord, we know as followers of Christ, he who is in us, your very spirit at work in us is greater than he who is in the world. And we may be tempted by the flesh, but the spirit is greater. The Spirit is more powerful. The Word is sufficient. So God, help us to depend upon Your Word and Your Spirit and help us yield to You that we might say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have believed and we've come to know that You are the Holy One of God. God, I pray, help us to say that from the bottom of our hearts. And help us to be fully devoted to you no matter what anyone else does. Help us to follow you faithfully until you call us home or you return for your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.